I'm going to heaven. I uh, was born again and accepted Jesus into my life. And, uh, I believe I'm going to heaven. Um, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'll say that till the day I die. No one knows, so no one can say really. All we know is that it's either we were buried or we're cremated in that city. I believe heaven. If you give your life to the Lord and you truly think he's the Savior, I believe you go to heaven. I feel like we can really send ourselves places with our thoughts. And I think, you know, it really just depends on your mindset of, you know, where you go. Like, because I, I believe in the spirit and I believe in the body. And I think that it's really a choice. Oh, heaven. I believe in heaven. You need to go to hell, heaven or hell. I hope everybody else and all my friends and family are coming too. So. As a non-religious person, I just believe you go to the ground. So, it's my saying. You just, everyone goes in the ground, rich or poor, you go to the ground either way. So, what do you think of that? What do you think of that, ladies and gentlemen? We look at scripture today, and uh, as we do so, for those who are guests, let me more so introduce myself. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team here today, and uh, welcome to everyone in the East Auditorium as well. For all of us, how would you answer the question that we pose to the people at the Decatur Celebration? What happens after you die? Various artists, and uh, both musical and otherwise, have tried to express what their understanding of that is, and we thought we'd give, give a couple tests here today to see if you can recognize what these artists are trying to say. So um, here's one artist that um, is a video. You might remember this and see if you can remember what this is about. Okay, that's all you're going to get. Do you know who that was? ACDC, and what was the intro to the song was? That's a little disturbing. <laughs> Bunch of church people know about the highway to hell. What's with that? <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about that. <laughs> yes, we may have to chat about that some other time. <laughs> Or here's, uh, Thomas is going to help us with another, another uh, understanding of what happens after life. All right, which is what? Hi, stairway to heaven. Stairway to heaven, right? We've recognized two songs. One about a highway to hell and one about a stairway to heaven. Uh, it's got me wondering a little bit. A highway to heaven, you know, lots of cars, lots of people going there, versus a stairway to heaven. I'm wondering, is that a description of a future traffic pattern? Uh, you hope not, right? Okay. Lots of people going one way, another. I don't know that there are many people who, if they believe in an afterlife, are planning and say, well, I'm planning to get on the highway to hell. Most people, if they believe in an afterlife, are saying, well, I want to go to heaven. I'm planning to go to heaven, but then if you ask them when, they probably say not really soon, right? They're not making that plan really soon. As a matter of fact, 
There are artists who've made some attempts at trying to explain that. Kenny Chesney in 20, 2008 released a song with that sort of sentiment, and we thought just in the spirit of fun and kind of to set the stage, you might want to hear a little bit of that song as well, of um, everybody wanting to go to heaven, but there's a caveat in the song. You listen. Start living right You need to quit the women and whiskey And carry it on all night Don't you want to hear him call your name When you're standing at the curtains I told the preacher, yes I do But I hope they don't call today I ain't ready Everybody wants to go to heaven Have a magic high above the clouds Everybody wanna go to heaven, but nobody wanna go now. Said preacher, maybe you didn't see me throw an extra twenty in the plate. There's one for everything I did last night and one to get me through today. Here's a ten to help you remember. Next time you got the good Lord's ear Say I'm coming but there ain't no hurry I'm having fun down here Don't you know that Everybody wants to go to heaven Get their wings and fly around Everybody wanna go to heaven But nobody wanna go now Someday I wanna see those streets of gold and my halo But I wouldn't mind waiting at least A hundred years or so Everybody wanna go to heaven Beats the other place, there ain't no doubt Everybody wanna go to heaven But nobody wanna go now Everybody wanna go to heaven Hallelujah, let me hear you shout Everybody wanna go to heaven, but nobody wanna go now. I think I speak for the crowd. Nobody wanna go now. Yeah. I ain't ready. Let's go, man. Let's go have some fun. So yeah, so we, we uh, the bands in both rooms just did that, and um, again, I'm a little bit disturbed that some of you were singing along like you knew the song really, really well. What's, what's with that? <laughs> we're, by the way, if we ever publish a hymnal, we're not going to put that in it, okay? All right. Um, but on the other hand, the sentiment is quite common, isn't it? I, I want to go to heaven, but just don't ask me to go right now, Okay. But what happens if you did go right now? What does the Bible say about the afterlife? Um, there are some things we do know. 
and there are some things we don't know. We're going we're to cover that a little bit today. What we're doing is we're joining with uh, 14 other congregations from across the community who got together last, um, last January and February and said, how could we join our resources and our people and our staff and our abilities and create something that the whole community would be interested in? So this Tell Me More is a four-week series asking questions provocatively in some ways that enable us to have some conversations about what the Bible says about topics that interest us and interest the community at large. So what do we know? Let's start with some things, biblically informed ideas of what we understand the Bible has to say about the afterlife. What do we know? Well, we know, for example, that everybody dies. I mean, that's pretty plain, right? If, regardless of your experience of going to funerals or not going to funerals or however many you may or may not have been, uh, been to, you are aware there's an obituary page in the newspaper every day that's got people who went into the afterlife in the day previously. Or if you don't get the paper, at least you see it on Facebook. And uh, we, we, we acknowledge that at some point everybody's going to die. Well, not quite everybody. I made the statement that everybody dies, but there are some examples of people who don't die. For ex there are two examples in the Old Testament of people who didn't die. They just literally got sucked up into heaven without dying. Or there's also a story, uh, or not a story, but an ind some indication in the New Testament that when Jesus comes again at the second coming, that the people who are alive right then, they're not going to die. They're just going to meet him in the air. Okay, so it goes like this. Um, it says, we believe Jesus died and rose again. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So the dead in Christ, those are the ones who've died, who are following Jesus, and uh, they die ahead of time before Jesus comes back. But when he comes back, they resurrect. And if there's any followers of Jesus Christ alive at the second coming, somehow they get caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There are some people within Christendom who call that the rapture, whether or not you believe in, you want to use that terminology. Nonetheless, it's certainly clear that some will be caught up together to meet these people who've died. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. So scripture tells us, and experience tells us that everybody dies except in those cases. The two who died or didn't die in the Old Testament and the people who are essentially meet Jesus in the air at the second coming. But we do know some other facts as well. For example, we know that some people, when they die, go to hell. Now, we could spend a long time looking at this today, and I could give you all kinds of scriptures, but I wanted to say, bottom line, I'm going to give you some biblically informed ideas and with one scripture to follow behind that. So more or less saying this is the overall idea. Some people go to hell. We may not like it. We may certainly hope that they don't go. But nonetheless, this is what Scripture says, that this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God. So the people who are not walking with Christ and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these are non-Christians, okay? Here's what's going to happen to them. They're going to be punished with everlasting destruction. Two things, everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. I mean, you're asking in your head right now, what does this mean? Is this hell? Yes, this is hell. Apparently, if you end up in hell, these are the attributes of hell. First of all, it's everlasting, never-ending destruction and torment. That's one thing. Excuse me. But there's a second struggle as well, and here's what the second struggle is. It's the complete absence of God 
and any of God's attributes, the glory of his might, the attributes of God. In other words, if there are any attributes of God that you would say, I want to be part of that, you know, that if they sound pleasing, like love or comfort or light or kinship and goodness and so on, all, those are all the glory of God's might, okay? That's all the attributes of who God is. All of those sorts of good things of life, which are characteristics of God, they are all going to be missing from this place of everlasting destruction. But not everyone's going to be there, but some will be there in that place. On the other hand, while some go to hell, others go to heaven. Some go to heaven. And again, some biblically informed ideas here in a brief way, perhaps describing what those in heaven get to do. See, you have these pictures, you know, these descriptions of people sitting around on, cl on clouds with, you know, long white dresses and halos and playing harps, you know, this all over and over again. It's not that at all. As a matter of fact, we, we know from Scripture that we'll have jobs, work to do. We know that we will worship God. We have some reason to think that animals are there, after all. You, people say, well, there aren't animals in heaven. I don't agree with that. I mean, you've got Jesus returns on a white horse. Did he steal it? No, he's got one in heaven. He, bring, he rides it back. I mean, so as a matter of fact, there are, the Scripture describes other sorts of non-earth-like animals or creatures that are there in heaven. And in fact, their, their primary responsibility is to lead the worship. We read this in the center around the throne of God. This is from Revelation chapter 4. In the center around the throne of God were four living creatures. The, John the Revelator doesn't know. He sees heaven. He doesn't know what to call this. Are they animals or are they creatures? He goes with the word creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. So they looked like something he's never seen before. The first living creature was like a lion. So I know what a lion looks like. That kind of looks like a lion. All right? The second was like an ox, some sort of bovine creature of some sort. It's an animal-like looking creature. Then the third one, he has no idea how to describe it other than say, well, that creature had the f a human face on it. And then the fourth was, well, it's like a big flying eagle, but they've got eyes front and back. And you read in other places in Scripture where they've got multiple sets of wings. But look at what they were doing. Day and night, it says, they never stopped saying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I like that idea. These non-earth-like creatures, but animals somehow or other, are leading worship. I, I, I'd like to see that. I want to see that. And one thing I want you to note is if you're planning to go there and see those creatures, one thing to note that contrary to hell's absence of God and his attributes, when you get to heaven, you know who's there? God is in heaven. And with God being in heaven, so are his attributes. Those in heaven experience God's presence fully. The psalmist puts it this way. In your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand, and your right hand, there are pleasures forever. You want to go to heaven? Then you get to experience the presence of God forever, and you get to have that fullness of His joy, and you get to have the pleasures forever. See, I, 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 I'm looking forward to going there and seeing what there is to see. I want to see what those creatures look like. I want to see, um, I would like to have conversations with some of the key personalities of Scripture. We'll have all of eternity to do it, so I'll stand in line if I have to. I'm okay with that, all right? Um, but you know what I'm most anxious to do? Mostly, I'm anxious to experience where it says your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. 
I'm most anxious to experience all of God's presence and all of God's characteristics of joy and um, peace and life resolution. See, because if hell has no attributes of comfort, then heaven, because of God's presence being there, is the exact opposite. In heaven, there's full joy. There's full comfort. There's God's full presence. In fact, this is how the Bible describes it in Revelation. John says, when I saw heaven, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now, with, is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's what he's going to do. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes, all the struggles that brought tears. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain, for that old order of things has passed away. Now, if you talk to me about what gets my attention, that gets my attention. Because like you, I've dealt with too much mourning and crying and pain. I don't want to do it anymore. I've seen it in the lives of other people in my family or in my, who, are, who are close to people who are close to me, and you see their lives in disarray. I don't want any more of that mourning. In a, in a, in a ministry career, if I, if I may, that's now gone more than three decades, I've seen plenty of the old order of things of crying and mourning and death and pain. So much so that I say, enough, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. I understand Kenny Chesney. I want to go to heaven, not right now. I get that. But on the other hand, if I get to go now, it's okay. As a matter of fact, it's better. Because, I'll just say, I'm really looking forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb when I get to heaven. You know why? I got three stints in my heart. And it'd be really cool to sit down at a meal and not worry, worry whether or not that's pushing any cholesterol into those veins. Isn't that going to be lovely? I, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to be worried about weight gain. And, and, and when we get resurrected, what kind of body do you want? I don't know if you get a choice, but when, you, when you're resurrected, will you be resurrected at 20 years old? Or at 35 years old? Or at 65 years old? When was your prime? I don't know. When you see your granddad, will you see him as you remember him at 88 years of age? Or will he be a young strapping man of 22 years of age with all the prime of life still in front of him? I don't know the answers to that, but I'm anxious to go and find out. Very anxious. So if that's the case, if we know those things that everybody dies, some go to hell, some go to heaven, and in heaven God is there, what else can we say? Well, there's some things we don't know about heaven. And there are some stories around Jesus that he brings us some questions or some ideas that we could evaluate. I want to tell you what they are. The first one is found in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, it's there. I'm not going to read the whole story for you today, but in a nutshell, here's what's going on. It's the very last day of Jesus' life in his earthly ministry. As a matter of fact, within the closing minutes of his life, he's about to die. And he's on the cross, and on one side of him is a criminal, on the other side is a criminal. And the criminal on one side, frankly, is just plumb angry and curses Jesus and basically calls him an idiot and says... If you really were the Son of God, you'd do something in your power and get us off this cross. And then the other guy on the other side says something completely different. Here's what that criminal says. We are being punished justly 
we are getting what our deeds deserve. In other words, we've really done something wrong. But this man, I mean, we, we, went, we went to trial and we were found guilty. It was a capital punishment sentence. And this is what happens to us for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then, instead of referring to the other criminal, he actually turns his attention to Jesus. He says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into the kingdom? He somehow realizes that this is the Son of God. And when you get to your kingdom, can you just remember me? And Jesus gives him an answer. Truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's a fascinating story because here's what's going on. First of all, at that very moment... That criminal receives divine grace. I love it because we tend to think, well, I get divine grace, but I got to do something to get that grace. Well, that's not this picture. That's not what grace is. There's no, if this man's deeds are uh, this high in terms of what he's done wrong and he's done nothing good, then in the two, or f- two minutes or the two hours that he has yet to live, there's no way he can do enough good deeds to bring the balance the other way, right? And yet in that moment with all of his bad deeds weighing on his shoulders and literally like this, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says, it's okay. I got you covered. I'm dying on the cross so that this happens, that so that your, my grace will carry your sins will cover them completely. Today you get to be with me in paradise. I love that because here we are, we too often think, man, I just got to be a good guy. I just got to be a good woman. I just got to not foul up in school and then everything will be all right. And then Jesus will love me and I'll get to go to heaven one day. It doesn't work that way, friends. It's not how good you've been or neither is it how bad you've been. It's all based on the grace of God presented to you in Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that here at the last minute of this guy's life, what does he get? Not retribution, but grace. And then secondly, what's fascinating about the story is that the criminal heads to paradise. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I've always wondered about that. I mean, how did he end up in paradise that day? I mean, if you know some scripture, you know there's something about, it's about the resurrection from the dead and judgment, and then, then people go to heaven or hell. Well, how did he get to paradise that very day? Well, hold that question in one hand while we look at another story, not this one about Jesus, but this one that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16, if you want to flip there. Here's what the story's about. A guy with a lot of money, a rich guy, he dies. And when he dies, for some reason or other, he ends up in a place that in English would be best translated as a place of torment, a place of agony where he's eternally thirsty and miserable. He, Jesus says, he's, as Jesus is telling the story, he's, this guy is living inside a fire, and he calls out for help to anyone who will listen to him. And there, ironically, there used to be a guy who would sit at the rich guy's gate in his front yard. He was a beggar. He was a poor man. His name was Lazarus, and he too dies, and he ends up not in this place of torment, but in this place of called paradise, capital P. And when the, when the, when the rich guy says, hey, somebody send me some water, there's a voice from paradise that says, no, we can't get to you because while we'd like to provide aid, there's a great gulf between us. Now, as I tell that story, and we kind of take a look at it, 
I want to give you some caution. That Jesus was not telling the parable to give us details about heaven and hell. It was, the point of his story was about trust and care and grace. It wasn't a treatise, hear me, it was not a treatise on heaven or hell. However, the story from Jesus raises questions for us. It goes back to the thief on the cross. If he has to go through the resurrection, how did he get to be in paradise that day? How is it the rich guy and Lazarus, are they in some place that predates heaven or hell? Because there's no, Jesus doesn't mention the resurrection. It's still one is in a place of torment and one is in a paradise like comfort. How does that work? Or what do you do with a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, that to be absent from the body, the moment our spirit leaves our body, we are present with the Lord. If you're waiting for the resurrection, how does that work? I mean, your body goes in the ground, if the, and do you have to wait for the resurrection to see Jesus? Is that how it works? Or if the criminal on the cross gets to go to paradise that day, on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, did he skip the resurrection? Did he get a pass on the resurrection and judgment? If the rich guy and Lazarus can see each other from paradise and torment, how does all that work? Well, there are, are different ways in which biblical scholars have proposed answers to that. I like the questions that the stories raise and like the questions that the Scriptures presents. And as biblical scholars have looked at this, um, I want to give you a plausible common response, okay? Now, in doing so, I want you to hear the word really loudly with big capital letters, bold, 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 potential. This is a potential response. This isn't a theologically, um, this is the only response there is, but this is a potential response to this, okay? So you got the word potential. We're not building some big theology here. We're, we're, we're asking more questions and presenting some ideas, okay? So here's a potential answer to this dilemma of do you have to go through the resurrection and how did the criminal get to be with Jesus that day and so forth, okay? Take a look at this graphic on the screens right now. It potentially explains all of it in a timeline. What it's showing is that by using Jesus' story about the rich guy and Lazarus, the criminal on the cross, and the passages of Scripture that suggest that at the death of the followers of Jesus, they go to paradise, and the non-followers of Jesus end up in a place of torment. What I would like to, what biblical scholars often say is that um, this place of paradise and this place of torment is not everyone's final destination. The final destination is yet to come. So some of you were raised in a Roman Catholic tradition say, oh yeah, we call that purgatory. Well, no, it's not purgatory. I don't want to speak for the Roman Catholics, but Roman Catholics have, as I understand, have an understanding that purgatory is something you could uh, work your way up into different stages or work your way out of in some ways. I'm not suggesting that. I wouldn't be inclined to agree with that. I can't find that in Scripture. But what I would suggest is that there's this place where the followers of Jesus are in paradise, the followers, not the followers of Jesus, pre-resurrection in a place of torment. And then Jesus' second, comes along, second coming comes along. Take a look at the next graph. Graphic, pardon me. That the second coming comes along, and then there is a time of judgment. And in the meanwhile, everyone is resurrected. To their, their bodies and their spirits are brought back together. And those who are followers of Jesus Christ go to heaven those who don't follow him are sent to hell. This is how the scriptures explain it. 
in Revelation, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. So the resurrection occurs, okay? Death and Hades, the place of torment. We didn't get to have time to get in today to get into all the Greek understandings of Hades. We're just calling it a place of torment, okay? Death and this place of torment delivered up the dead who were in them. So there's some sort of way in which all this stuff, bodies and spirits come back together. And then they were judged, each according to his works. Now, if you say, well, I thought there was grace. No, there, that part of the works is, if you will, in this moment is whether or not the grace of God is covering all of that, okay? So if you've got the grace of God covering you, you're fine through Jesus Christ. Then death and Hades, the place of torment, were cast into the lake of fire. And at that people, these people are involved in a second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So putting all that together, potentially how this could work. In the moments after somebody dies, if they were a follower of Jesus Christ, they are in some sort of experience and presence with the Lord of God, waiting for the resurrection when their spirits will re be reunited in their bodies, with their bodies, and we move into, the into heaven and so forth and so on, and that's a whole other discussion again. But for the non-followers of Jesus Christ, they end up in a place of torment. And I don't know if there's a waiting period of time. I'm cautious there because I, I don't want to blow your minds here, but we live in the created order. We live in the cosmos. This is on the other side of the cosmos, so suddenly we're out of time and space altogether. Okay, so that just gets all kind of weird and wonky and kind of blows your... That's like in the 67th dimension, okay? So where time and space is... All, so I don't know if there's a timeline. I don't know. As I said, we know some things that we, some things we don't know. But the difference in the long run is how that judgment turns out and how that judgment is handled. And that judgment between heaven and hell is based, we know this very clearly from Scripture, the, the way that plays out is based on a person's decision regarding the work of Jesus Christ in his or her life. You know, earlier, I read to you a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I intentionally left off a portion of it. Can, I, can you hear it again? That we believe Jesus died and rose again. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, this is what gets back to who's alive and who's dead at the second coming of Jesus, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus Christ are with him in the air. And at that, from that point on, so we'll be with the Lord forever. And then the very next thing that the Paul the Apostle, the writer, states is, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that no matter how this plays out, the timeline, the sequence, the order of events, you're with the Lord forever. And so, beloved, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, I use that term very affectionately, beloved. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, be encouraged. Because anyone here today who has chosen to walk in grace with Jesus Christ and anyone who is choosing a God-honoring, Jesus-honoring lifestyle, you need to know the moments of death and what happens after that death are not to be feared. Not to be feared. It, it begs this. I have to ask this question then. Are you planning on heaven? Or by not doing anything, are you planning or not planning and it's just going to end up hell? Lots of people are not making any plans and consequently headed on a highway to hell. 
And I would say that's a really bad idea. Instead, choose Jesus Christ, choose heaven, shun hell. Because here's what Christians believe. Christians believe that Jesus died for our sins. We don't have to worry about this equation anymore. It's all covered by God's grace. Christians believe that Jesus died for our sin penalty. Christians believe that Jesus died for our hell penalty. He beat back the forces of hell. He was tormented on our behalf. And in grace, heaven is available to all. How? The Bible is very clear. To anyone who declares that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who all, to all who proclaim their need for His grace, for His saving work of Calvary, of the cross, to be applied to their lives, that's the starting point of following Him. It's not based on how good or how bad you've been or that equation. It's not based on how far you've already traveled down a highway to hell. It's based on your willingness simply to state your need for the work of Jesus Christ to be applied to your life. Bottom line. Answer that question, and then all the certainties and the uncertainties of heaven and hell are dealt with in the name of Jesus Christ. So to that end, would you pray with me right now, please? Lord God in heaven, this is a big topic. This is, um, this is a difficult topic, and, and we have to lean into what Scripture has to say, and we can, we can say some things with certainty, and we have some questions about other places and other situations. But I'm so glad that you resolved this much for us, God, that we know, we know, the, we know the road to hell, we know the road to heaven and that the road to heaven is paved Lord by those who proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ and accept his grace God I'm so thankful that not from a point of arrogance but from a point of need many of us here today have already made that decision that we are in fact needy men and women and kids who need to know of your grace in our lives God, I don't know how many more years I've got. Lord, I might live another 40, 45 years. Who knows? That'd be cool. I want to go to heaven. I don't know if I'm, I want to go now. Well, I might live 40 years. But on the other hand, God, if today is the last day of my life, God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I would immediately get to experience a place where there's no more crying and no more death, no more mourning and no more pain, and know of your presence. Lord, that sort of prayer is echoed in the hearts and minds of countless numbers of people in this room today. Lord, throughout our congregation, we have people who've experienced your grace. God, may we continue to experience it in a powerful way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.